This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined in the studio by Craig Earlham in London. How are you doing? Really good. There's something we always say a little bit special about doing it in the studio, actually seeing someone face to face. So, yeah, really good. Let's start with the latest news from the United States, the inflation figures. A little bit of optimism for the markets. A fall in inflation in July from 8.5% down from 9.1% in June. That was largely due to a fall in petrol costs. So markets like that news. They do, but it's not just the fact that the headline number fell. I mean, as you say, it fell from 9.1 to 8.5. The consensus was 8.7. So it didn't just fall, it also beat the consensus, which is something we haven't seen too much of uh, this year. But the core also fell as well, or at least it was below expectations. So it was 5.9% previously, it remained at 5.9%, but the expectation was that it was 6.1%. And that's actually expected to increase over the coming months. So this was a bit of a relief as well. I think what we're effectively seeing today is a bit of a relief move, to be quite honest, because we've seen so much this year of inflation surpassing expectations to the upside. And it's really depressed the markets and it's really caused a major concern. And then when you add into that the fact that we had the Fed go to data dependency, which gave the markets a lift, this idea that we could see a slowdown in the pace of tightening. Then we had these Fed policymakers come out, oh, like, I think you've maybe misread this. Just because we've gone data dependent, we could still see 75 base points in September. And also, what's this U-turn earlier next year you're talking about? Where, where's this come from? So you've seen the, them kind of really come out in force trying to control the messaging and control what markets are doing. And then we have that jobs report Friday, red hot jobs report, doubled the amount of job gains above 500,000, stronger wage growth, lower participation. It was a bit of a recipe for disaster, really, in, in some senses for the Fed, even though ordinarily you would look on this jobs report and say, this is incredible. What an incredibly strong economy. But the problem is inflation complicates that, especially when the Fed is having to aggressively tighten as it is. So the markets really needed this right now. In it, for any sense of optimism going into the rest of the summer, the markets really needed something to hang on to. And this inflation report has given it. Now, it is worth noting that, as you say, there are certain components which have really helped that along. The fuel price is the obvious one. I mean, energy price have been such a massive part of what's been moving the inflation uh, numbers over the course of this year. But things like used cars as well contributed. The other side of that, of course, is the fact that things like rents are still rising very aggressively. We're still seeing rising wages, which are going to continue to stimulate price movements in that direction as well. well groceries or yeah. food prices. So there is still components of the uh, of the inflation numbers and the core inflation in particular, because I think that's going to become the real focus more so for traders now over the coming months as headline inflation starts to dip, assuming energy prices don't spike once more. The core inflation reading is going to be the one that people are going to follow an awful lot more, even though it's always the headline inflation that writes the headlines itself because it's bigger and it's scarier. And there is a lot of positivity to take away from today. But I think we should also treat it with some caution because there is still a lot of underlying inflation within this market. And we need to see two or three inflation reports before we can start to be in any way confident that this is a real legitimate turning point. Because let's face it, the reason why the headline numbers come down, as you say, is largely because of energy prices. Energy prices are so volatile. And it won't take much for Brent crude to be trading $120 again rather than $90 or even higher. Gas prices as well, extremely volatile. And we can't hang our hat on what oil and gas prices are doing at this point in time, even if it is the thing that kind of households may feel most at times. There's 
multiple factors driving inflation and it's those things which are probably more important in terms of driving a sustainable level of price pressure that the Fed can hang its hat on, can slow the pace of tightening and ultimately avert what the markets fear most, which is a tightening-induced severe recession. And as you said, it's an incredibly mixed picture. And those energy prices are volatile down to a number of different factors. I mean, we've got this war going on in the Ukraine. If that got a lot worse, it could go back up. The weather, obviously, we're having a warm summer in this part of the world and in the United States as well and the rest of Europe. So that puts pressure on things like air conditioning. But uh, who knows what lies in store over the next uh, few weeks or months. And jobs growth remain strong as well. But other indicators like consumer and business sentiment have been hit by the worries about the rising prices. And going back to what I was saying before, in terms of why inflation has come down, if it's mainly due to the fall in the oil price, then that's got very little to do with the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. It has actually had very little effect. It has, but it does almost take the pressure off a little bit because a lot of the pressure comes from that big headline number. If inflation was running at 5.9%, then I don't think there'd be quite the hysteria that there is when inflation is rising up to 9%, close to double digits. I mean, that's the type of thing that you just don't associate with the US anymore and haven't for many decades. So it's almost like this idea that we need, the most important thing is the core inflation, but you also kind of need from a pressure perspective to see the headline inflation coming down as well. And the headline inflation is going to lead that. But like I said, I do think the focus is going to turn more to core inflation over the coming months. Ultimately, as you say, there are signs of cracks appearing in the US economy. The housing market's been showing it throughout the course of this year, to be honest. If you look at housing starts, pending sales, mortgage applications, all of these things, they've, they, they turned lower earlier on this year. So house prices are likely to start falling, actually, if they haven't already started falling in the US as a result of that. But actually, up until this point, the house prices have been going up, so rents have been going up. So that's another pressure on households. The thing about the energy prices, as I say, it's a thing that you feel most in many ways. It's something that's in your face all the time. You got, a, you got a pump now to fill up your car with petrol maybe two weeks ago before it started falling here in the UK, maybe a bit longer before in the US. And when, when you're spending 120 quid trying to fill your car, uh, when, when you used to spend maybe 80, then you really notice that. It's right in your face. And if you're having to do that on a regular basis, right in your face. Energy bills, I mean... There's, there is going to be no hotter topic here in the UK for the next three months than energy bills and what that's going to do to households and to disposable incomes and to debt. Uh, th- that's something that people notice considerably as well. So while, yes, th- there's nothing the Fed can do to control that, these have knock-on effects for the rest of the economy. So energy prices, fuel prices don't tend to contribute to the core reading, but they do drive up costs for businesses who then have to charge more for their products in order to pay for those added costs. So there is a kind of indirect feed-through to the core inflation that we see in the market as well. So all of this has an impact and therefore the Fed has to be at least seen to be acting and does have to act early because the last thing it wants to do is to have to ramp up the pace of tightening when inflation gets to 10, 12, 13%, which hopefully it won't now. Meanwhile, mixed picture from China, Craig. Consumer prices have risen again, but factory gate inflation is down. Yes, that's right. But I think the important thing from the inflation data itself is the fact that it was below market expectations. Again, and we talk about a lot about market expectations, but this is the important thing because where the markets are positioned determines what the reaction is ultimately going to be. And it didn't just come in below market expectations, but it's at a very reasonable level. CPI year on year, 2.7%. So that's below the kind of 3% threshold that the PBOC wants to see. It has risen from 2.5%, but not as high as the 2.9% that the markets 
were forecasting. But also, uh, the other important point to really take away from the Chinese inflation data was the PPI number, which was 4.2%. That fell from 6.1%. So that was well below what the markets were expecting. Things like fuel prices having uh, a big role to play in that as well. One of the big contributors to the CPI number actually rising was pork prices, which are very volatile. So you have to take these things with, and also vegetable prices actually. So you have to take these things with not necessarily a grain of salt, but there are always volatile components components of this inflation data, which you want to pay attention to, but you have to kind of pay more attention to the non-volatile components because they're the parts that mean that inflation becomes entrenched and long-lasting and becomes a problem really for central banks. So central banks can't do anything about volatile pork prices, but they can see if inflation is becoming entrenched throughout the economy. What this ultimately means from a Chinese perspective is we're not likely to see any monetary tightening anytime soon. And I think that was something that was unlikely, but I think we were starting to get into marginally uncomfortable territory where if we start to see this continuing to rise in any considerable way, then we may need to see that at a time when the economy is already suffering as a result of lockdowns. But also the the door is ajar for further easing, so further uh, rate cuts uh, we could see from China and maybe another drop in the triple R uh, as well. So there are possibilities that we could see a few more stimulus measures, not necessarily on a fiscal front so much, but more so on the monetary front in order to try and support the economy. I think they've kind of accepted right now that they're not going to hit their 5.5% growth targets this year. But one thing, two things they do want to achieve is keep inflation low and keep unemployment low as well. And those are the type of things that can be achieved as long as we continue to see this uh, CPI data around these levels because it means that the central bank can continue to support the economy and won't have to put extra stress and strain on, on it. Fundamentally, though, the biggest factor in terms of Chinese growth is going to be lockdowns. And if we continue to see cases popping up and we continue to see lockdowns going into year end in 2023, it has to take its toll on the economy. And therefore, the only thing that's going to make a major difference there is going to be a tweak to the zero COVID policy, which doesn't look likely at this point. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us today. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.